Tonight I attended an Intermountain STC chapter meeting, which was held in Salt Lake City, September 18, right downtown in the Salt Lake City Library. And I had the opportunity to hear from Liz Fraley, founder of Single Sourcing Solutions, uh, talk about repurposing content for multi-channel publishing. A little bit about uh, Elizabeth Fraley. She, as I said, is the founder of Single Sourcing Solutions. For nearly 10 years, she has architected and implemented single sourcing systems. She specializes in practical development and deployment and is a strong advocate of architectures that directly improve efficiency, productivity, and interoperability. And in this presentation, um, basically, it's all about as I said, repurposing content for multi-channel publishing. She talks about XML and DITA and single sourcing and all the things you have to keep in mind as you're starting out your single sourcing project. Just to give a little bit of a summary about the presentation, she says, it all comes down to managing and reusing source. Recycling content such as chapters, graphics, isn't new, what's new is the common set of backend structure in XML form and the fact that more than one set of tools including small mission critical custom tools are explicitly focused on the specific needs of a given project. Reusing and repurposing content is all about improving efficiency, <coughs> automating, accelerating and merging applications, systems and processes. In a multi-channel publishing environment, it is critical that content development, source development, and its management are as efficient as possible. So this was recorded in a room at the library, and the acoustics were a little, uh, how do I say, echoey. So, but they are clear, and, and it recorded well. And we're just going to go to that. It lasts about 45 minutes, and if you have feedback... Definitely contact Elizabeth Fraley at the email provided in the show notes. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, so just to give you a little bit of background, um, I have a master's in English, which was followed by a undergraduate in computer science. And people ask me, why did you do that? And I say, well, if you can write structured things well, you can write structured things well. Uh, so that's just a little bit of background. Um, you'll notice these are PDF and not PowerPoint. Being the XML person that I am, I generate my slides. I generate pretty much everything that I do. And uh, I, go ahead. When do you want to get a copy of your slides? I gave them to Marge if she wants to post them. Yeah, you're welcome to them. I, this is a presentation actually I gave at the Joanne Hackos conference last April or March, whatever it was this year. Um, so this, that's why Maria's name is on here. She helped me at the time. Projects. Anybody already doing them? We're trying. We're trying. Okay. We'll be talking about how we know you guys are on. ready to get started. Okay. Most people are getting ready to maybe try it out, or you're hearing rumors in your departments, maybe. No. The just don't want to look at the idea at all. I do single sourcing on a small scale. I mean, just okay. with a few different. 
So I've worked on several different sizes of project. One where I was hired as the software programmer to do it cheap and fast, right? Well, not fast, but cheap and over a long time. And if you're gonna go the cheap route, then you need someone with software skills to get you there. Did Open Toolkit, not the most accessible of applications, but you know, certainly there and a great application it is. Anyway, um, and about, I use, I'm a long time Arbitrix user, but I've used XMetal and pretty much everything else. All right, next slide, let's get started. Reuse isn't new, right? We all know this. We have always tried to do more with less. Reuse reduces cost overall, and it's not new, right? We have wood block printing, in, engravings, any all kinds, we have a history of doing all kinds of things with less. Doing standard components, mass production, recycling, the biggest things happened, in, right? Industrial revolution, manufacturing, you have standard nuts and bolts. You can buy your supplies from anybody you wanted who had them, and it would all work together. So, can you set it to do page by page instead of, it's like half filled. Movable type, right? Little keys, wood blocks, engravings, Chinese character blocks, panels. These are all history of, of tools that were used in the writing trade, right? That we didn't even, as far back as we can think of with writing tools, there was always reuse. You make a page and use that same block to make many more pages. And you can put the text in the center. You're reusing blocks and other pieces. These should be really quick slides right here. So my favorite example of reuse is Space Shuttle, right? This was a huge jump toward why reuse is useful, right? Cost savings, all kinds of other techniques are, are available once you have it ready to go. Software archives, I always love that slide. So the reason you want to reuse stuff is because work is never done, right? You all were just telling me how you're getting, every time a new group comes in, every time about semantics, every time a new group would come in, you'd start all over again, it was a hassle to try and integrate them, right? It doesn't matter, if you start today and you do your data model, tomorrow the data model will change. There's a new book, there's a new product, there's a new company, you're acquired, somebody's acquired by you, there's a new VP somewhere who wants you to go to a new format, right? It's never done. The, one of the most important things you can learn how to do, no matter who you work with to do your project, is to learn how they're doing the data model, how they are learning to put things together. What kinds of things do they want to know about so that they can plan that in the data migration from one template to Ditto or to DocBook, how to use the tags, what are they for, what do they look like when they're applied in different styles. It's not what you see is what you get, it's what you see is one possibility, right? And so you are coding for many choices. There's always something new and, any, and changes to anything that you did in your data model will trigger more changes than you can even guess at. I worked at Juniper Networks. They are a, a competitor to Cisco. They have the big routers that run at the center of the internet. And they, we started their project and we had one sort of set of hardware components, well-known manuals. There were, for any hardware piece, there were 
five hardware manuals, a set of crew documents, um, a couple of other smaller pieces. There were 20 software documents. And at any given time, writers were managing five versions of those documents. Mm -hmm. Because they always had a beta, something going out of end of life, and three that were active. Right, so you had writers managing 100 documents, right? There's 20 documents, five versions, and then the hardware to go with it. And shortly after we started the project, we had our data model ready, and we, were, we had our, this was 2000, so before data was really ready. So we had our DTD, and we were moving forward, we had our style sheets, and then they acquired three companies. Right, and these companies had translation requirements that we didn't have. So that wasn't part of our original data model. There will always be a trigger, there will always be a change. So. So why do you do it? Repurposing content's all about improving efficiency. There are people in your departments and probably in your own desk where you are doing little things to make your job easier. Little efficiencies, little things. Those should all be, you should look for those when you're doing your data model. Who's pulling things out of, uh, we called it the RLI database, which was the release line items of the features that were coming in the next version. Right, who, where are you putting that? We had writers who were pulling that out and keeping it in spreadsheets and doing all kinds of other tracking because it made it easier for them to pull that out and put it into their FrameMaker docs, right? The more of these that you can find, the more of them you can take advantage of and think about, well, how am I gonna, how can I export what's in there so that it's right in the XML format I want, right? One of the things we did was we had a, you, you have a bug database. Here are the bugs that are in the next software release, okay or bugs in the documents, well, I'm gonna put out the release notes, how about I generate the first version of that that has all the basic information and I can just start augmenting it. Once, so they give the writer somewhere to start. Right, you know, it's starting from scratch. Uh, all kinds of other places like that too. We, if you can think about taking your document, taking it out to PDF and taking whatever in PDF and putting it back into whatever the customer's using, your online help. Right, when you're doing the help files, you want this, this content to match, right? Easier when you're looking for it. These, the opportunities are everywhere. They are everywhere you look and you should look for all the places that you can, as many as you can, every time something changes, right? What is marketing use from your documents? <laughs> what is sales using? Are they doing anything? What is project <coughs> management doing? Are tools doing anything? What's the web doing? Are you responsible for releasing to the web as well as to the printer? These are all things that you want to include. Legal is a big one, right? Especially important in pharmaceuticals or in uh, anybody doing uh, things that are regulated by the FDA, right? It has to be very specific language. It has to be exactly the same. You cannot touch it or change it. Which parts do you want to lock down in your process? Which parts do you want to be changeable? A couple of years ago, I guess one now, um, Lori Fisher at IBM said, gave the, the goal for what was IBM at the, at the time. This is their goal for tech clubs, and it's right content, right person, right time, right format, right media. Right? We're looking at five dimensions that they're trying to do documentation for. Your thing next month, right? When you're doing critique, these are all the dimensions that you're talking about, right? She, uh, she's an interesting person to, to talk to. She's, she started as a writer. She's now director of 
the division that's doing technical publications, and IBM has the first technical writer that is now a distinguished engineer at IBM. Like, she, her job is to do research. She doesn't have deliverables. Her job is to figure out how to make it work, and she's, I think, the first writer to actually ever hold that post that I have ever heard of, which is kind of interesting. So, she was part of Lori's team originally. So let's sort of go through a little exercise, right? So um, I'm gonna use the Neuros OSD documentation. Neuros is a company that does a kind of set-top box thing that has a developer community. They do development, they create a hardware product, they create documentation, but they have, uh, they have an open source repository. So developers from anywhere can go in and fix bugs or add features. Right, so they have almost no control over what's in the product and what's in the documentation. They have part of it, they don't have all of it. So, and this is a short list of all the types of documentation they support for any given release. A wiki, they have a Google group, they have forums, they have the, the software repository, they have a channel, they have bug reports, quick start guide, they have two websites, they have a download page, a store, a fact, a wiki, two of them, product specs, they have legal bits, right? And it's kind of a headache for them to manage. Now, I don't work with them, I have not spoken to them, I've just looked at their stuff and I kind of find them interesting from a software developer point of view. But, uh, so this is what they do. And I like their little bug for the bugs. Uh, this is a picture of their website and they are talking about how they get information and stuff from a variety of sources and how they're trying to manage it. Sort of what they all do and what their mission is. So, so, so if you have all of that, then you add, you change your model and you add another document to the list. What kinds of things are affected? Well, you're gonna get new hardware specs, you're gonna have something from engineering, you're gonna get stuff from product marketing and product development, you're gonna get things from marketing, you're gonna have CAD files from the, the hardware guys, you're gonna have API details that either you can probably generate right out of the source, which is kind of fun. They'll have internal outstanding bugs, they'll have new bugs, they'll have community sent bugs, and community developed bugs, right? So it's not even their source code, it's somebody else's work. And then you get troubleshooting information, all of these have to come up before they can have the release of the product, right? It's all well and good. At most, product never ships without the documentation. So all those pieces need to be in place. Okay. So th this is sort of what you do when you do data modeling. Like, what, where am I going to get all the data? Where's it going to go? And at release time, they want all of these pieces ready. Right? Uh, Visio stencils is, an, is a not a very common one. Uh, diagnostic applications. Military is doing this now with. Uh, what they call the interactive technical manual. They really want it to be able, so that when your docs say, if you check the dial, it should be, have one, a value between this and this. They want to be able to have the docs reach out, ping the thing that has the values and see if it really matches, right? They really want the documentation to be diagnostic. That's sort of a difficult issue from a lot of points. So, it's kind of what I call the dimensionality problem. And the next three slides are slides I got from an Arbortext user group in 2002. They were good slides, I have kept them forever, 
they're really good at sort of at visualizing the, the issue. The dimensionality problem, is that the five dimensions you control? It is many, right? So we've got all the places we're getting source, all the kinds of places we're going to go, all the languages we're going to do, all the media, right? It's, it's many dimensions. IBM has five that they think is part of their mission, but they're, you know, and maybe language is part of that. Not really necessarily spoken. So here's your first one, right? Simple thing. We've got a book with one piece of reused content, and it is used, that one piece is used in like six other books, right? This is the easy case. Go ahead. Okay, so now those six other books are going to three different formats. And that one piece of content is all over the place. Keep going. Now it's going to a bunch of different projects. Now we add languages. Then we add the next company or the next product, right? It, it just gets worse and worse. It becomes really hard to visualize. But writers get really, really good at managing it. That map that they had every second reactor. That was actually, to go back, this actually was a, a real product that Hamilton Sunstrom was doing. Like, this is a real thing. This was not, you know, for fun. That's why I never remade the slide, because, oh my god, I didn't even want to make that slide. There's too many pieces there for me to want to deal with. Much less if I were a writer trying to manage it all. Okay. So, back to our Neuros example. So what happens when the next product arrives? We get overlapping source code, we get features, we get hardware components, some pieces that are unique, some pieces that are the same. Say you acquire somebody, you're gonna have look and feel changes at a minimum, right? And if you just have marketing decide, oh, well we want it to look different because it's not updated since the 1970s, you're already gotta update all your books. So say you get somebody who's an OEM or like John Deere where they have dealers, right? They, hand, they do some of the documentation at corporate, they hand some of the information down to the dealers, the dealers augment it with some of their own content, and they put, publish a bunch, of a bunch of publications. Right, but they wanna change it so it's their look and feel and not the other dealer or, or corporate. And so say you add a new output format, right? Who knows what's coming? We do Palm and e-reader and we do PDF and web and wikis and who knows what's next, I don't. So there will always be something else you haven't figured out what you're gonna do yet. Okay. So, and it gets more and more complicated. It becomes multi-dimensional, not just five, right? You've got the reuse within a book, across versions of a book, if you have more than one at the same time, across multiple books, multiple versions, same book. We already got three. Then you've got multiple versions and books, and product lines, and formats, and languages. You get, a, you get exponential increase of complexity. Okay, this is my favorite slide to get next. Yes, he's the only person I've ever heard of who can think in four dimensions, right? Most of us actually really have trouble thinking in three. We mostly think of two and then add a third. We're working on it. We don't really think in three dimensions most of the time. So when you're looking at an n-dimensional problem, it starts to feel really overwhelming and very, you know, what if I don't want to do that. I'm happy with my book. <laughs> All right, so it's awesome. But anyway, so things to help. Dida is, <coughs> uh, I cannot think that I would do anything other than Dida at this point. I would not, to, in 2000, we built our own doc type. 
data wasn't quite ready. I actually, for my SIG doc paper, I presented right next to Michael Priestley, who was sort of introducing data at the same time. Our models were remarkably similar, but they went way farther than we did. The CONREF is extremely powerful. You can reference a piece in another, within your book or in another book, just by addressing it. So it's not copy and paste. It's not even, you're not even managing little chunks of physical files. You can point into a file in a particular location. It's very, very powerful, it's really nice. Uh, specialization, also extremely powerful, but also one of those things you wanna be very careful using. Don't specialize unless you have to, right? Just as with software, don't customize just because you can. It is often harder to migrate customized code than it is to migrate custom code you wrote yourself. Right? Say that again. So, custom code, code you wrote yourself, is easier to migrate because you know all the, all the ins and outs of it than customized code. Such a tweet. Well, so a long time ago, uh, the House and Senate and Congress, they've got two, each one has their own documentation writing group and each writes to their own DTD. And they exchange based on a different DTD. And they made it so that the writers didn't think they were writing in XML at all, even though they were using our virtual editor. They thought, they made it look like it was Word. Right, you can customize, Arbitrix is completely open and customizable, and you can change any piece that you want. And they went really far, and it became a horribly hard to manage project, right? Because if Arbitex adds features or changes things in a different way, then you gotta take all your code and move it too before you can move all your writers, right? And in the meantime, you're paying maintenance on something you're not using or getting the benefit from, right? So customization is useful in many cases. I have seen, I saw this last Augie, or BTC user now, uh, a guy who wrote an incredible search and replace tool for Arbitex to the point where like, even Arbitex was like, can, can, can we have that? We'd love to put that in there, and it's a Swedish company, they just, they won't do it. But um, the search and replace, he did it all in the Arbortext extension language. It's not tied, it's not actually customizing the interface, but it's a tool he can deliver with it. And so it's a little easier to migrate, but you know, there's good and bad. Specialization is the same way. Only specialize if you absolutely have to. If there's no real reason to do it, don't do it. So XInclude is still sort of coming along. It's a, an XML thing. Uh, it's sort of like CONREF and, and uh, Tapi2, but it's, um, it's an XML technical thing. Let's you just include files like libraries. Uh, there's other things that can help you, content management. One of the things that comes out eventually, uh, you'll start with writers, right? You've got writers and editors. And as things grow and develop, you have more and more, it's not uncommon to have thousands of files once you're in data, right? That's very hard to manage if you don't have sort of somebody who is, understands how the pieces work together and what's where, right? And someone in your group will be really good at doing that and will like to do that, right? And so you sort of migrate them over to doing that kind of job eventually and then you, you teach other people how to do it. 
Um, and I've never seen anyone as good a, as, the, as the writers who are really interested. Um, the other, sort of the same token, that person will be the one who can look at a piece of content and say, okay, we are going to add a new product. How does this chunk change? Should I reuse it and factor it and add attributes? Or should I clone it? It's different enough, I should clone it and move forward, right? And you'll find people who are really good at making that distinction. And chances are, actually, you'll go back and forth. Sometimes it'll be one, sometimes it'll be other, and then you'll get down the road and say, you know what, really, I should bring these back two together and split it differently, right? So you, you'll have people who are really thinking about content in that way. Content management can help you. Uh, there's many different kinds. Any of them are fine, uh, assuming you have the staff to make it work well. File servers work best if you have IT or a tools person to help you. Uh, XML databases can be problematic. They tend to break it, your content into every XML element. LexisNexis publishes, you know, legal documents and, and uh, laws and judgments and things like that. They had a file once. It was going to take five days to generate into PDF. They, it was such a big document, there were so many elements, and it's split into all the little pieces in the XML database, it was gonna take them five days. And they're like, we can't wait five days for the PDF. And they migrated out. If you have stuff that's not like that, 500 page documents, 2,000 page documents, probably fine. It all matters about what your content is and looks like. Uh, SQL, SQL database, usually the rest of everything else, There were so many, okay. right? So, almost yeah. like they were rendering the documents. They were they were trying, yeah. right? So you've got not only just you know book, chapter, section, para, emphasis, subscript. Every one of those was its own node in the database. It's it's no. No, it doesn't have anything to do with that, right? It's their documents were 2,000 pages. You're just the number of elements, number of paragraphs you'll have in that is tremendous, right? And any paragraph that has more elements in it, subscript, superscript, date, time, phone, URL, whatever, UI element, variable, every one of those in an XML database would be its own individual record, it's, it's, essentially. It's it just, like yeah. They just Not had huge documents. Concerns that we had when we worked through how to define the, the templates we want to use. And mm -hmm. It's really hard to persuade people, yes. even though this small difference is meaningful to you, the reader doesn't necessarily right. feel that's that true. Difference. So then you end up with you know, a 2,000 page definition of all the different elements because you're going to use all of which. Right, if you're not gonna do anything with it, then why are you marking it? At the same time, if you wanna do something with it, it better be marked. So they didn't, so they didn't suffer from any of that? I don't think so. 
I don't think so. From what I, when I talked to the, I you know, was talking to him on the phone because I was working for somebody else and uh, they were having me pick a, pick a database for them. And I said, wow, uh, really? <laughs> He's like, yeah, you, you wouldn't believe it. It's just, and for legal markup, there's all kinds of pieces, right, that are required for layout and line numbering and everything else and markup and all the rest of it. And that all has to be there. So it was kind of the wrong choice for their document type. They migrated out to a different vendor that was relational database. Okay. And then you, on your last you can go back. Slide, I apologize. That's okay. Thank I'll you. Ask, uh, you've got data and X include kind of it appears like it, X include is a subset or so data helps you utilize the, the data or data is an XML specification, mm -hmm. right? X include is XML technology, so it makes XML work. X included, okay. right? Did a, go ahead. It is a separate standard, but it's more one that um, your people who are doing style sheets, they will use it, right? Because just like you're splitting the docs into pieces, style sheets split into pieces too, right? This, you have standard look and feel pieces for different parts, mm -hmm. right? And the Chances are, if you've got different style sheets that you want to, for say localization purposes, you've got say you you'll pull all of the strings, all the hard coded strings, out of the style sheet and put them in a language specific file. Right. So, for example, when I if I'm generating the word say the word copyright before I print the copyright, I don't want it to be in English for a German doc. Right. So all your generated all your strings will come out. Right, and X include helps you manage that and jump around and choose things. So it's more for your, your style sheet folks. But uh, you know, I'm sure that is doing some of that under the covers too. But it's not you don't really need that's, to worry about that's it. What leads to my question is not really sure. It depends on the vendor and how they've implemented it. So that's the one thing I'll just sort of pause here and say, um, when you're choosing a vendor, right? They are, it's the best sort of uh, example is to use a software, right? Borland wrote a C, a C compiler, Microsoft wrote a C compiler. I can take the same code generated and get two different results on certain conditions, right? One will be slack where the other one will be strict, right? The standard doesn't say specifically, but the vendor makes a choice, right? XMetal behaves differently than Arbortex on certain corner cases in certain situations, and it depends on how they interpreted the standard. It doesn't matter which one you pick, right? You pick it, you live with this, the, the choice that you made. You just need to be aware that there are places where they may not play well together. Right? Free stand. Okay. Good question. Anything else? Lovely. All right. Yeah, here we are. Okay. So here are some general guidelines, things to remember when you are designing your data model, working through things, had a new product, doing whatever. You really want to think about information from an architectural point of view, right? It's more than your doc plan, it's more than your outline. Who is going to use your information? Um, you want your doc plan to think more about where, who, it's kind of a trade-off, right? XML is more work, there's no way around it. First off, it's hard work. Getting to used to it from FrameMaker or anything else, 
there's a steep learning curve and it's going to suck for a lot. Doesn't matter who you pick. Thank you for right. saying that. It will. It will you will curse my name and, and hate me for a good long period, probably about six months, and then after that you'll never want to go back. That's what the, the curve that I see pretty regularly. Um, but when you're making your doc plan for like a new product or a new feature, right, there will be pieces that span other books that or things that other documents that other people are responsible for. Right? So really, it's not one doc plan, it's a doc plan for a set. And you all work together and you sort of split up the work. Really, who's gonna write this section? And you're gonna architect it to count for what I need too. Right, so you're not both writing it and copying and pasting anymore. You wanna think about things a little bit differently. It's, about, it's a culture shift, it's an integration and reuse thinking at, at a much higher level than you're used to thinking before. You gotta really vary. Understand the whole, think about where your module fits into the overall content picture. Your book, someone else's book, the product line, the overall marketing picture, company portfolio, right? And your books will continue to get better as you go through the next round or the next thing. Go ahead. Isn't uh, so it's a little bit dangerous when you're trying to make a content that's so inconvenient that in order to write it, it's going to be absolutely yep. positively bland. Absolutely. That is the, the issue that you all will get really good at, to be honest, right? That's the, do I clone it? Is, it? is it different enough or is there reason enough for me to clone? Or is there reason enough for me to make this part generic and then have subsections that I can pull in that are unique? Right, this is what you're good at. Honestly, it's not what I'm good at. This is it's kind of, guy. It's kind of the same problem that we face with localization. Yes. From version to version, is it important enough to make the change that's going to cost you a translation hit or can you just let it slide, clone it, right. say, right. and let the translation stay the same? So, um, Flatirons did a study uh, on localization, and they found that really doing, really knowing your context and, and architecting it well, reduced language costs by seventy-five percent. That seems like a really high number, but if you've got four books and all four have, for more information, contact us at the following address. And if, any, if that sentence differs in all four books, you've just gone to the translation house four times. Mm -hmm. If you just do that one sentence in all four books, you've reduced your language cost by, by, by uh, three quarters. Right? So it, it really is higher than you think. And where those rules are, where there is no hard and fast one. Right? You know your content better than anybody else. And you know the person who becomes more that information architect level who knows where the content is. When you get a new project or a new feature, looking at how everything is affected and making those decisions, right? And you can always go back. You can always change your mind, right? And you will, because another project will come along and you'll decide again. And maybe that, at that point, it's worth it to change or worth it not to change, right? It's, yeah, it's not, it's, there's no good answer and I don't think I answered your question. Okay. All right. So yeah, it's finding out why why you do reuse, why you don't. Right. That's most important for you all to just make those decisions. Don't let somebody from IT decide. Don't let your software person help you. You all know the content better than they do, and you're the ones who make those decisions best. Uh, this one's kind of interesting. Um, large modules versus small. 
did it kind of makes that a little less relevant because you can reach into a large mo module and pull out a note, say, that says ground yourself before you start a new procedure. Uh, but small, the more pieces of content you have, it's kind of harder to, to figure out. You'll need more than one person to start knowing all the pieces of your content base. Why you chunk them, why you don't? There we go. Core components that are shared are pieces. Major components that are redundant, those are pieces. Logical unit of work can or can't be. Uh, you want, so say you have a bunch of people working on the same document, FrameMaker you lock, change, unlock, hand it to the next person, they change, lock, unlock, hand it to the next person. Um, it may be beneficial to have multiple files so that everybody can work on pieces at the same time. Or if you have a content management system that merges, then you can maybe both modify at the same time and it'll do the merge. Kind of tricky though. Um, unless you're doing peer review, which is unusual for writing teams, it's harder to do modify and, and merge. Right? Although I will say that if you can do peer review, that is, it will make your content much stronger. Right. Don't chunk when you're too little. Don't, if you don't have a reason to do it, you don't, right? And just because some information is redundant doesn't mean you do it, right? That's a value judgment and decision that you make as a writer. You're the ones who know whether to break it or not. All right. Minimize overall at, at every level. Uh, DTD or sometimes your content management system, you can tell it to split into bursted pieces. Uh, your XML database will automatically split it into all the pieces. Uh, if you're using a content re uh, a relational database, sometimes you can tell it, I want to split it, I want a big file, but I want you to split it at every section or, so, or head one or head two or head three so that I can pull out just one piece of it and edit that and not the rest. So that's one of those things to decide. Um, and you're gonna organize things in your, in your content management system. Um, this is an issue, this is something that is, you know, kind of cut on the edge of where we are right now. Search isn't finished. Search technology is not done. Google has the desktop app, but you know, it doesn't really, they're not searching content management systems as far as I know at this point, but you know, you have other issues too. Who's allowed to see it? Who's allowed to change it? Who can change the, the front matter and the, and the legal docs and everything else and who can't, right? So your structure and your content management system should include that kind of information. All right. Suppose your specific content within a chunk is only applicable in certain contexts. Does that mean you treat them as a separate chunk or not, right? Just because it's contextual, this means it's unique. Not necessarily. You can use metadata to do some of that. You, uh, our, our text calls it profiling. You can say, you can take one piece and have parts in it that are applicable, say, only for your internal tech support people. So you can produce the tech support manual and the user manual at the same time and your style sheet turns off the parts that you don't want to go into the user manual. Right? They call that profiling. 
Um, and you can do some of that and it's use, use the filters to sh take out the content you don't want and put in the content you do. Just one variety of ways to do things. So is it okay if I interpret the phrase in certain contexts as for certain users? That is one way, right? You might have something that only goes to the print document and doesn't go to the web. One of the, long time ago, really before Ditto was useful, uh, one of the tricks was to, when you had a cross-reference, you put the whole text of your sentence inside the cross-reference, so that if the thing it was pointing to wasn't there, the whole sentence dropped out. Right, it didn't just see, and then, you know, period. <laughs> right, so, you know, that, it, that's one of those things. So, um, this is one of those, those uh, studies that's old and yet fascinating to see. Reducing results for translations, they had 83% used across modules, 71% for words, and when they did translating, they would do some matching. Uh, a lot of a lot of databases will do this now. A lot of content management systems will do it, and they'll say, for example, you'll say, you can check your document, and it will say, you already have a sentence that says contact support at. You have written please contact technical support at the following number. Do you, would you prefer to keep this or use the other one? Right, seems good and bad, but it's up to the user, to, the writer to choose whether they want to use that sentence or not. But, yeah, so, but for translation it, it can matter because translation costs get very, very expensive. Okay. Next question, okay. So, don't worry if you started too big or too small. It doesn't matter. It will always change. Change is the only constant in the universe. There will be, you can guarantee that what you did today is not going to do, it's not going to be the end of it. Um, and the, the part of the trick is to look for things that are small improvements. A lot of small efficiencies add up to bigger gains, right? Find a, find a place where you can, you can generate a little bit of thing and then that's less work for you. And then so the next time you say, well, you know what, this is very similar to what I'm doing here, I'll do that. So my slides are generated. Uh, PTC, I work with them now, long story. Um, they have this, although they are a documentation company, they produce things that work with XML, there's business XML language, you know, I can produce PDF, they want me to fax them documents. Did you say fax? Yes, fax. As in, put it in the fax machine, dial the phone, it faxes. Yes. Ask me why? I don't know. I wonder at this every day. So they sent me a Word doc. Have your customer fill this out. Fax it to us. I looked at that Word doc for about five minutes and made it so I could generate it using XSLT when I generate my quote. Like, I'm not using Word doc. There's no reason for them to fill this out by hand or anything. And so I generate all the information in it, send it to the customer, they fax it straight to BTC, and I don't ever have to be a part of it. Actually, I'm working on automating my faxing too, so they can just email it to me and it'll automatically go. You know, every little thing matters, and you can find little pieces all over the place to do more and more and more stuff. Every time you send me more, go back to XML, it's great. So you look for little places, go to your writers in your group and ask them, so what do you do to make your life easier? Copying things to to Word or to Excel, and are you saving as XML? Are you doing anything? 
I will say that um, the Microsoft XML stuff, you can do space, backspace, save, and you get two totally different documents. So that's less than good. Uh, so if anybody who's thinking about that, do not do it. Um, and I can tell you about FrameMaker too, but that's something else. Um, <laughs> so and uh, you want to refocus staff as the project shifts and changes, right? You're not going to start with an information architect. You're going to start with a bunch of people who own a bunch of books and are working at the first level to make their book where they're reusing content and doing stuff within the book. And you're thinking about pieces that'll go between books, right? And then the next release, you will reevaluate all those decisions and say, well, how can I improve that? How can I make it better? Uh, Avaya had an amazing, <laughs> they did an amazing amount of work and I, I converted their docs from FrameMaker to Dita uh, last summer before they decimated the entire company and sent everyone to India. Um, and she had to undo, she had it factored beautifully, right? She had conrefs everywhere. She had it all structured for her product set of documents. And then, you know, she got axed and India said, oh, we must learn the product. She said, you better ask me questions. They are like, oh, no, 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 no. And so she unfactored and they are now doing less than they could and they'll start all over again. But you know, you'll get, you'll find somebody in your group who's really good at that kind of thing, right? So you help, you have them start doing that more, and then you know, you get everybody's working together. You're going to do this part. I'm going to do that part. And you're going to sort of change the way it works, and uh, you'll 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 see those shifts again. All right. Doc plan. This is the big one right here, right? What is marketing writing? What is customer support writing? What don't you have to write? What is somebody else writing? Part of your doc plan. Part of your doc plan is, I have to write this, you're writing that. Right? Where can I get that so I don't have to do it? And you use that time, the time that you're not writing to do this stuff that you, to make your docs better. Right? To reconsider those decisions that you made the first time. Right? Well, I split it. I wrote it generically. I don't like it. Maybe I will shift it and do it differently now. Right? That's what it's for. Hopefully. And I say this with all, you know, enthusiasm. All right. <laughs> Hope that you get to do it. Anyway. So that's that's uh, kind of the organizational mm -hmm. aspect of things about organizational things. You're not thinking that we're identifying projects and things people want to pull into, like this. Some of it. Yeah. Is marketing writing anything that you're going to swipe? Can you assign things to them that you can later swipe? Right? Because I know they they swipe stuff from tech hubs all the time for white papers, right? Yeah. So you may as well assign it to them in the first place, if you can, right? I don't want to do this. And you ended up cleaning it up anyway. Right, you ended up cleaning it up anyway, right? So, you know, but yeah. And, and think future, right? This is not right away. You're not going to do this in your first rev of the project, right? Yeah. As you move forward, you start thinking about, okay, so now I've got my docs under control. I can think of ways to improve here and there, more efficiency, more this, more that, or I don't want to do it that way, I like it better this way. You're more in control of, of understanding the whole sort of content egg, right? And then you say, well, okay, so now what parts can I assign to customer support? Where, where are we duplicating across enterprise units, right? Well, yeah, it's a different dimension.
it helps to sort of think about those things when you're doing your design, but you're never going to get there, right? You're not going to implement that the first time, right? Because well, number one, they're probably not going to cooperate, right? But, and you never get it right the first time. I never do, right? I'll write code and I'll say, oh, this is a great way. And then like three days later, I'll be looking at the code. Oh, you know what? I could do it better like this, right? I'll write something. I'll come back a month from later and say, wow, that's really bad. I used to have a great editor and he died a couple of years, about a year ago. It's not do. good. He was the best they editor I ever saw. Man, it was really, really good. Okay. So this is, um, this is a, a, a version of, of something that SPSS, they're a statistical software company. They, make, they do math and statistics processing. Uh, Clay made this little application for Arbortex Editor. So this is not customized editor, but it is a thing that can ship with it. And basically it did the fuzzy match. It would say, you wrote this sentence, do you really want this one? Right, now most content management systems do that, so he wouldn't have to write it today, but in 2002 he did. And they would do, he did where used, he'd generate reference files, he'd do file details, and he could limit his searches, it was kind of an interesting tool. There's, there's all kinds of places to go. More guidelines. Um, it's kind of an old slide almost at this point. There, I don't know where your tech pubs teams fit in the, your corporate world. It's harder when you're part of marketing than when you're part of engineering, at least in uh, California. Uh, technical publications tend to have more respect when they're part of engineering out there. Um, if you've got, if you're like gigantic and you've got multiple tech pubs groups, who is managing that stuff? Is it corporate or is it on a group by group basis, right? Do you need, are you gonna buy software that lets you not have to do as much because you don't have a software person to do all the work? Or do you wanna, or do they have someone that you can leverage from IT or wherever so that you can do it cheaper, right? You pay for convenience. Uh, did a tool open toolkit is sort of the example, right? Um, it ships with Apache version of the PDF generating engine. Uh, as with most community projects, not everything is implemented. Uh, it was actually the, the transform to all caps has, was not implemented for a very long time. So if you wanted caps, you had to actually type it that way in the source. Um, so, you know, but if you had a talented programmer, they could fix all of that and do that for you with some tools and Perl and some other stuff, right? They could identify the places where you wanted that and they could go fix it for you before it ever went to PDF, right? But you needed someone who was software to do that. Uh, you can throw out that engine and you can plug in RenderX or Publishing Engine or Antenna House or whatever one you want. So the DidOpenCred is nice that way, but the first time you install it's not that easy. There's a bunch of a bunch of different little patchy things you have to install them all, and it's just not simple the first time out uh, for non-technical folks. Um, but that's completely up to you and your budget, and who you can leverage a big borrow or steal from in IT or engineering or wherever. Uh, tight versus loose integration is the the bit about customized code. I will make the point here once again. It is customized code is worse than custom code. Hands down every time. Lockheed Martin, Florida, Cape Canaveral is still using Arbortex Editor 4.4, despite the fact they are at 
seven because they heavily customize the interface and they can't migrate. Their code was VB code and they had all this other stuff that they did and they just can't do it. They have other deliverables they gotta make before they have time to go and upgrade it. In the meantime, they've paid maintenance for five years and they haven't been able to upgrade the software. It's true, it's true of databases and content management systems too. Unless you do the better, in my opinion. Standards whenever possible. Know the standards you pick. You can pick any one you want. You can pick Docbook, you can pick Ditto, pick S1000D for all, you get, for all that it matters. Um, they all have their strong points. They all have a path on the implementation curve. Docbook's kind of at the end. There's no real new features coming. Ditto is getting a lot of attention. There's all kinds of support from all kinds of places. You know, and we're seeing this where SGML failed miserably. So pick which one you want and know your spec. And if your spec does something for you, don't do it yourself. <sighs> right? You can implement, you can do the specialization, but maybe you don't need to. Right? If the spec has done it, you don't have to do it yourself. And keep an eye on things that are coming. Right? New things happen every day. There's a new output channel or a new format or something, I mean, who's gonna write to Kindle? Kin the Kindle? Kindle, Kindle, the Amazon book reader? Kindle. Kindle, right? Maybe you wanna go to that if you're doing something that like a repair guy is carrying around. I don't know. Sony ebook. Sony ebook, right, that's brand new, right? I'm writing, writing a module for the iPhone, who knows? I don't know where your content's gonna go. There's always something else coming though, right? So keep an eye, just keep an eye out. Have somebody whose job it is to read mailing lists. If your Arbitex, our adapter's mailing list. If your DocBook, there's a DocBook mailing list. There's a DITA mailing list. There's DITA local user groups. There's XSL standards. There's FO, which is all its own mailing list. XML dev list. I've got like a list of 12 that, are, that I read daily. Um, and, and assign someone who's interested in reading and say, make that part of their deliverables part of their, their plan for you know, evaluations at the end of the year or the next year, so that they can, they, it's part of what they do to make your, your whole organization better. All right. And then talk to everybody else. Right. Go to conferences, have your meetings, do your thing next month, that looks great, right? that's cool. Talk to me, I'll tell you stuff. Um, I sort of feel it's my responsibility when I was learning it, I had so many people who would just tell me things. I feel that's sort of my responsibility. So I will tell you stuff. Do I know about FrameMaker and how it handles data? Happy to tell you what's required. Doing, if you wanna know where XMetal and ArborText sort of differ, I might be able to get most of it. Seen them both. Um, different, different types of databases, like the LexisNexis thing, you probably wouldn't even know. Um, Astorio has the best salespeople on the planet. Every time I turned around, people were buying Astoria, and if you had a whole bunch of documents, you were sort of out of luck because it broke it into pieces. If you had really big documents, it was hard to deal with Astoria. Um, things like that. So, yeah, ask me, I'll tell you stuff. All right, cool, that's it. Anything else? Tell me what you're doing. Well, I saw a promotion for 
for uh, 